Before we get started this week, I just wanted to do some housekeeping. First of all, since our last episode, I was still unable to get tested for COVID-19, but I never developed more than a slight cough, so I'm unsure if I was infected or not. Secondly, Katie, who gave us an interview from Brooklyn, has since left the city to be with family and is sheltering in place. She has uh, quarantined and has not developed any symptoms. Basically, I wanted to let you know that everyone you heard in the show is doing fine. Also, we'd love to hear how you're doing. Drop us a line at finding underscore podcast on Twitter and let us know. Finally, just a reminder that in these hard times, we need all the help we can get. As a nonprofit show, we're 100% listener supported. So if you like what we do and want it to continue, consider making a donation to support us at ReneeCFrank.org. Okay, thanks. Now, into the show. My name is Brandon, and this is Finding Health. We've got questions, so we call the experts. This week on the show, how your wearable Fitbit or Apple Watch can change your health insurance. Let's learn about it together. This episode started with a piece I read by Dr. Lisa Carver, so I'll let her tell you about it. So I'm Dr. Lisa Carver, and I'm an adjunct assistant professor at Queen's University. I'm also associated faculty with what's called the Surveillance Study Center at Queen's University, um, and this is in Ontario, Canada. What happened was I started with the idea. I was thinking about data leakage. I was thinking about how our smart devices are collecting all this information and how it's leaking into the internet and being um, siphoned in through the internet to other um, parties through these third-party apps, right? So you get a uh, an app on your smartphone or you get a smart device and there are often other apps there that you don't realize they contain sort of another line or algorithm which is taking the data from that device to a third party. And that third party is then distributing the data quite legally um, to other interested parties. This idea intrigued Dr. Carver. Why? Well, for a few reasons. Firstly, let's cover how data in these devices can be shared, as Dr. Carver said, legally. This all happens when you agree to the terms of use, you know, that button you click when you mindlessly sign up for a new account somewhere or download a new app. And these terms can have all sorts of things hidden in them. I'm pretty guilty about not reading them and just accepting them. And uh, a few days later here back in the studio, and I wanted to share with you the excitement of the last few days. I have spent almost a week reading the entirety of terms of use for different software that I have been using. Uh, it's been very fun, long, dry, and boring. So I found a couple of interesting ones and uh, wanted to wanted to share with you some of the fun ones. The first one is iTunes. I've used iTunes for a long time. I mean, I remember the little click button iPod shuffles that were like a little USB stick. You used iTunes to download music, watch movies, uh, used it all the time. Well, when I agreed to the terms of use for iTunes, I agreed to something pretty interesting. Here under Section G of Licensed Application End User License Agreement, 
and I'll put a link to this in the description so you can read the terms of use if you like. Quote, by using the licensed application, you represent and warrant that you are not located in any such country or on any such list. You also agree that you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by United States law, including, without limitation, the development, design, manufacture, or production of nuclear, missile, chemical, or biological weapons. Unquote. So, by using iTunes, I have agreed not to use Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande's Rain On Me file to develop nuclear weapons. I'm not sure why that was necessary to put in the terms of use, and I'm not sure what software or services iTunes offer that could be used to design biological weapons, but hey, you've probably agreed to something crazier. Instagram has some pretty strict terms around mandatory arbitration meaning you may not be able to sue them, and instead you'll have to go in front of a third-party arbiter. Quote, Except as provided below, you and we agree that any cause of action, legal claim, or dispute between you and us arising out of or related to these terms of Instagram, the claims must be resolved on an individual basis. In other words, you're waiving your right to sue. So be smart, take a second, and read some terms of use. Side note, as we're talking about wearable devices this episode, did you know that Fitbit has an opt-out clause in their terms of use? You can opt out of mandatory arbitration with a company. According to its terms of use, it says, opt out of agreement to arbitrate. You can decline this agreement to arbitrate by contacting optout at fitbit.com within 30 days of first accepting these terms of service and stating that you, include your first name and last name, decline this arbitration agreement. So if you're just getting a device from them now, it may be worth doing. Anyway, the point is, the terms of use you may sign for a device may have things included that you may not want. And if you're willing to connect your device to a third-party software, you're probably signing some more terms of use about what that third party can do with your data. With that, Dr. Carver has me hooked. So I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about how there's so many errors in the technology that as that that information is moving around if it was brought together into a sort of wellness report that that resembled a credit report um that then we would have all this data about our health floating around in the internet that could be snapped up by organizations like um, insurance companies and used to create a you know sort of a risk portfolio for the insurance company to decide whether or not they wanted insure uh, us. So I was thinking about all these things and talking about them, writing about them, and then all of a sudden I discovered that John Hancock, which is um, a subsidiary of Manulife in Canada, um, but John Hancock they, and Manulife, they offer services around the globe, like in Asia, Canada, the United States. Anyway, I discovered that they were launching this Vitality program, which is advertised as life insurance that saves you money and rewards you for healthy living. Let's dissect all of that. If my data were to be put together, what kind of report would it generate? Well, there's a lot of data out there on me. I'm a pretty public person, and I use lots of social media. 
I have for a long time. But if someone could buy all of that data and create a health credit report, what would they have access to? Well, my device does track my location, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that this report would have all of my location data included on it. If I'm visiting fast food restaurants, for example, being unhealthy. I do have a few apps that I use to track my physical activity, so the report would probably say how many steps I'm taking in a day and whether or not I'm completing my stay-at-home app-based workout. But without realizing it, I've also used calorie tracking apps before, too. So in theory, this report could contain all of the food I'm eating at home and all of the exercise I'm getting. And I've used financial budgeting apps. So the report could also know how often I order takeout or how many drinks I buy at a bar. Suddenly, it's not sounding so good. I'm not sure I would want to see the report that you could get on me. Now, we're not quite there yet, but Dr. Carver is worried about how close we are to this vision of the future, so the John Hancock program was concerning for her. Here's how the program works. The interesting thing is, is that this program, it offers you, depending on the level you choose to go with, you either get a discounted device or a free device. So if you're willing to pay a little bit of money, you get a free device, which sort of says to me it's not actually free, but okay. And you get this device, and they help you set your fitness goals. And then through the device and through an app on your phone, you get points and you get to track your goals, right? So it sounds awesome. It sounds like it's really helpful. As of the time of recording this show, John Hancock's program has a few perks they're offering. They claim to offer up to 15% off your premium, a free subscription to Headspace, a meditation app, a savings program for healthy food, and a free Fitbit or an Apple Watch for $25, assuming you keep within their program and earn 500 points per month for two years. Data collection is shaping up to be one of the most important issues of our time. We share a lot of data through social media apps, but what kind of data would this smart device capture, and what kind of data is shared with your insurer? And is it data or data? I guess you'll have to tweet at me. But I asked the first question to Dr. There's Carver. There's a fall detector that uses an accelerometer and a gyroscope to figure out whether you're, you know, you're unsteady on your feet. There are a number of um, heart-related apps on this on this Apple Watch, including it will detect if you've got an irregular rhythm, a high heart rate, a low heart rate. Um, it may detect whether you're experiencing something like atrial fibrillation. And these things would be reported to your insurer. Um, and uh, so basically your insurer knows what your heart health is. And there are also, um, well, there's, there's other ways that the data is being extracted from the Apple Watch and going directly to your insurance company. Now, this might sound like a lot of data or data, but these devices, they collect a lot more data than you might think. Dr. Carver pointed out that everything you do is recorded by these watches and wearables. If you've tied a third-party app that tracks your calories and compares it to a workout from your watch, you've got a full picture of your nutritional health. If you wear it to sleep or you have a sleep app that you use to track your sleep cycle, it knows your sleep patterns. 
That's wild. So aside from uh, those concerns, what what other potential problems are there? I mean, I feel like it sounds kind of dystopian. <laughs> it sounds very, uh, well, you know. It is. And one thing I want to point out is, like, there's, there's lots of issues, but one thing I want to point out is when I was reviewing this other article, okay, so this was not available on the John Hancock site, at least not that I could find. But what it said in this article that gave more details was that you get you get a label that you're either your health is either bronze, um, silver, gold, or platinum, and depending on that level, you your in your premium goes up or down. But the thing that this this other site um, pointed out in their review of the program was that. In fact, bronze or silver, your premiums are increasing. So if you are not meeting your fitness goals the way that you, your insurance company has established that you need to meet them, you, in fact, have agreed to allow your, insur- your uh, insurance premiums to go up. If you're a gold, they'll remain the same. And if you're platinum, they decrease, which means that most of us who are not incredible athletes we're actually signing on to something where we're letting our insurance company increase our premiums. Whereas normally if we buy into an insurance policy, and again, I'm not an expert in insurance, but if you go in and you do whatever medical tests are required, you get an insurance policy with a premium based on your health at the time that you sign on. And generally that monthly premium or annual premium is locked in for the life of the policy. But when you sign up for one of these programs, you're actually giving them permission to increase your premium based on what your device is reporting. And that, to me, is really scary because that means that, in fact, the majority of people are not going to benefit. The majority of people are actually going to um, suffer from this. We did reach out to John Hancock to see if we could get a breakdown of points and exactly what data they collect from these devices and how they store it, but they haven't yet responded to us. The vision Dr. Carver is describing isn't far from reality. Say someone is enrolled in this program and gets pregnant, and towards the end of their pregnancy, their activity level decreases, and then they have the child, and all is well, but they're still not very active for a while. They've got a newborn. Dr. Carver is concerned that these companies won't take things like this into consideration, and people could be paying more than is fair for their insurance, which are all valid concerns. After the break, we talk to Duke University's Jesse Lynn Dunn, who has studied wearable devices, and we get a different perspective. is made possible by you, the listeners. Finding Health is a product of the Renee C. Frink Society, a nonprofit organization. So we rely on donations from listeners to keep our show on the air and our programs running. If you would like to join our family of supporters, visit reneecfrink.org. That's R-E-N-E-E-C-F-R-I-N-K.org. This week, I also wanted to talk to you about emails. We send a lot of emails. As a nonprofit, it's important for us to stay up to date with our donors, our volunteers, and our subscribers. 
If you, like us, are looking for a great, affordable solution to managing your email marketing, check out AWeber. With over 700 customizable email templates, AWeber can help take your email marketing to the next level. It's easy to use and easy to manage. They have hundreds of sign-up forms you can use to grow your email marketing lists. And best of all, they have mobile-friendly templates. Starting as low as $19 a month, let's make your email marketing easier. Sign up for a 30-day free trial at findinghealth.aweber.com. That's findinghealth.aweber.com. Let's get organized. My name is Jessie Lynn Dunn. I'm an assistant professor at Duke in the departments of biomedical engineering and biostatistics and bioinformatics. Um, my lab is the Big Ideas Lab, um, which actually stands for something. It's the Biomedical Informatics Group. And we are integrating data engineering and analytics. Um, and the name really describes what we do. We work a lot with biomedical data from a variety of different sources. Um, one of the major ones we're dealing with these days is wearable devices. This is Dr. Dunn. She's been interested in wearable devices for a while now. I wanted to reach out to Dr. Dunn to get her perspective on wearables, namely accuracy. Are wearables accurate? If we're going to use their data to dictate our health insurance plans, we want to make sure that that data is accurate, if at all possible. And Dr. Dunn knows data. By training, I'm a biomedical engineer, um, but most of the research that I've done has been in the bioinformatics and biomedical data science realm. Um, I actually started out my career more in the biomolecular data, so working with genomics and other types of what we call omics data sets. Um, and actually, while I was a postdoc at Stanford, I started to get really interested in one of the side projects in the lab that was using wearable devices in an omics study. Um, and the more that I dug into that, the more that I realized, wow, my engineering training is really well matched with the data science questions in this type of data. So she was hooked. The reason I called Dr. Dunn is because of a study she did on these devices. Now, I have to say, this was one of our first episodes where I attempted to record in a socially distant setting, so the call software I was using was pretty awful. You'll have to pardon us if the call drops in and out a bit, but hey, we're learning how to stay healthy and socially distant, so at least now we know not to use the software again. Right, well, anyway, about Dr. Dunn's study. So we looked at the Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin, and um, a, a band that's more popular in China called the Xiaomi or the Empatica and the BioVotion. And the study was comparing these bands against? Yeah, so we're comparing them to medical-grade monitors. Um, we were using um, in clinical practice for something called Holter monitoring, um, which basically is when somebody is suspected of having a certain type of arrhythmia or um, heart problem, we can track those um, typically outside of the clinic because a lot of times they don't happen all of the time. They only happen some of the time. Um, so usually there will be you know, between 24 hours and maybe one week of monitoring patch at home. And so what we did was we used that patch alongside these other devices through a variety of different tasks. Um, and we had over 50 participants come in and go through the series of tasks, wearing the patch and wearing the 
The call drops out a bit as she says, with the wearables. So what was the goal of this study? What we were looking to do was to see if there were certain conditions under which wearable devices were not as accurate. And there was some evidence um, that we had seen through sort of um, the popular science literature and um, anecdotally from researchers who were running studies that the devices didn't seem to work as well in darker skin tones. And we really wanted to test that hypothesis out because that would have a lot of implications for research studies and the devices. Um, and there's evidence to support that um, given the method of measuring heart rate is using this green light and that green light is absorbed more by melanin. It would make sense that potentially they wouldn't work as well. Um, and then the other piece that we were looking at was under different types of movement conditions. So, for example, walking at sort of a reasonable pace, um, if somebody's typing on a computer as if they were at their desks at work, um, and then if somebody's just kind of at rest. I feel like saying, let's step back, has become my new catchphrase on this show. But let's step back, and let's take a minute to put this in perspective from what we learned in the first half of the show. If wearable devices can be used to determine your insurance premium discounts, what does that mean for someone who may have darker skin? Are their results not measured as well? Dr. Dunn has the answers. Yeah, so actually what we found and we were really happy to find was that across different skin tones, we did not see differences in accuracy of heart rate readings. Um, so th there is evidence that maybe in the past there had been some inaccuracies, but with algorithms and with um, different abilities to change the intensity of the LEDs, we think that the companies have solved this problem. Well, that is a relief. I can see why Dr. Dunn was surprised by this, because as she mentions, some of these devices, they have disclaimers on their website saying these devices may not work as well for people of darker skin tones. We were allowed to see that at least it seems like these companies have been working on it and that for the most part, in at least the studies that we did, we did not see that problem. I'm relieved too, but there was another surprising result of this study. During movement, the heart rate inaccuracies skyrocket. Um, so we would see inaccuracies of up to sort of 30% error rates, um, which are really, really high. That's pretty high, and I was surprised to hear that. After all, these devices are meant to track your exercise. So you would think during motion, during exercise, would be when they succeed the most. Dr. Dunn was not so surprised. So we weren't entirely surprised to find that out, but um, we realized that there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of addressing motion artifacts. I asked Dr. Dunn how accurate some of these devices were, and she had a hard time saying, as a scientist, because... You see, there's lots of different devices out there, and they're all geared towards different things. Comparing these devices isn't just apples to oranges, it's apples to swimming pools and soybean fields. Very different. She did say something that struck me as interesting, though. She told me that despite some of the challenges of these devices, they are not as wildly inaccurate as people think. But I would say... Under some under some circumstances, you know, when somebody's sitting really quite still, um, and if the goal is just to get a measure of heart rate and somebody has normal heart rate rhythms, then I would say we could get close to an EKG-like accuracy 
um, in a lot of cases. That is pretty good. But there are also a lot of circumstances where wearables are not up to snuff compared to the clinical standards. Um, and so, for example, under motion or in atypical types of heart rhythms, um, it's very difficult to detect some of those things from smartwatches today. So here's the big question. As someone with an impressive background who has researched these devices, what does Dr. Dunn think of insurance companies using these devices for wellness programs? Well, I guess I would I would probably think that the discounts that companies are offering, my guess is that they're more based on movement than they are based on heart rate. Um, and so in that case, you know, if the goal is to get people to move, um, I think it's not a bad incentive because it's fun to have a watch that gives you some information about yourself. Um, and for people who are doing movement anyway, why not get a discount? Um, so I think in terms of movement, I think these are pretty accurate. Um, that, that wasn't really a part of our study to test the accuracy of the step counts. But what we've seen is that, you know, for the most part, these estimates are pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I guess I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And it makes sense. If you can save money by walking during the day and doing a light workout, why not? But now we have to circle back to data collection and data privacy. I asked Dr. Dunn if she could see a future where insurance companies would use this data to identify pre-existing conditions, like heart conditions, and demand either more in premiums or doctor's visits. How far off is the world that Dr. Carver described? We need to see a lot more policy and regulation around the use of the data. Um, and I think, you know, it's perfectly reasonable when we talk about telemedicine and remote monitoring that these technologies could be very helpful for people's health and for their awareness about their health conditions. So I guess I, I want to emphasize that I, I don't want to see a world in which we're so scared of this data being out there that people aren't using it because it can be really beneficial for people understanding their own and for monitoring their own health. Um, but the data does, there do need to be regulations to ensure that the way, um, and there are people out there whose entire careers are focused on understanding the ethics behind digital health. And I'm super grateful that those people exist because we really need them. I'm really glad these people exist too. We live in a world of big data, and there is not much we can do to avoid it. The question of this episode was simple. If my insurance company offers a discount for me to wear fitness tracking devices, should I do it? Should I enroll? After talking to a few experts, I'll leave the decision up to you. I think I would be willing to enroll in one of these programs, but I also think I'll be reading the terms of use or terms and conditions more closely so that I understand what can be done with my data. And I may avoid signing up for third-party apps with that device. I think Dr. Carver's warnings are very important. We need to stay up to date with new laws and regulations that are passed regarding how our data is used. And we need to be vigilant. But I also like Dr. Dunn's point. If you can save some money, why be so afraid of the data if you're moving anyway? But what should you do? Well, as always, that's up to you. Thanks for going along with me to find some answers on this journey.
Finding Healthcare is a production from the Renee C. Frank Society. It was executive produced by me, Brandon Stewart. Producing help this season came from Mark Reese and researching help from Megan Crutchfield, MPH. We're edited and mixed by the talented Benji Block. Fact-checking for this episode was provided by Lindsay Lau. You can help keep us on the air by shopping with Amazon Smile and selecting the Renee C. Frank Society as your charity. And we'll get a donation from purchases you make there. Learn more about our organization by visiting reneecfrank.org or tweet at us at finding underscore podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting our show.